policies, it's not about programs, it's not about programs, it's not about programs, it's about just seeking Him. And that's uh, the simple truth of it. We're going to go ahead and dismiss um, our children for Children's Church. They can go ahead and meet their teachers. Um, I do want to take just a moment and uh, let you know about some things that were in your mailbox this morning. Um, first off, this is a copy of uh, a new magazine being put out by the Assemblies of God called Vital. Uh, it's being published bi-monthly, and uh, you can have this delivered to your home if you like for $15 a year, or we will make copies available here as we used to do with the Pentecostal Evangel. Uh, the Pentecostal Evangel has ceased to be published. Uh, December 31st was the, the last, actually... No, December, whatever was the Sunday. The 27th of December, I believe, was the last issue of the Pentecostal Evangel. And uh, in its place now is this magazine. And so it'll be coming out every other month. Uh, we have purchased one, the uh, original copy or the initial copy for every uh, member, every family of our, our church. And we put those in your mailboxes in the back if you did not see one or get one. There are extra copies available on the back table. Uh, as I said, we will continue to purchase um, them and make them available here and you're free to take them. Uh, I would purchase one for every family if I knew you would read it, um, but uh, I'm not naive enough to believe that if we gave everybody one that everyone would read it. And so we want to make it available to you. Uh, like I said, if you want to have it delivered to your home and you want to pay for it, that's for you. You can do that. That is great. You can order uh, subscriptions for your family and friends. We do get a cheaper rate uh, as a church and because we'll order them in bulk. And so we can make that available to you. We'd love to make it available to you. Uh, it is a great resource. There will be great helps and hints uh, about living out our faith. The stories that were in the Pentecostal Evangel, those same types of stories are going to be in this magazine. Uh, some of the different programs that are available, even though we know that programs aren't the way. Um, those that are, are, are available and books that are available, those things will still be reviewed in there. So all the things that maybe you liked about the Pentecostal Evangel will hopefully still be in that magazine, but uh, I will ask that maybe you not read it right now. Save that for later. Maybe take that home with you. And uh, I hope that what I have to share with you is going to be maybe as good as what's in that uh, magazine. But uh, also for those of you that ordered a prayer guide uh, for the 21 days of consecration that we're doing with the Nazarene Church, James River Church, and Huron Church of the Open Bible, um, that started on Saturday, just yesterday. If you were not able to be at the launch service on Friday night, uh, I did, if you pre-ordered one of these, put it in your mailbox. Um, the prayer guides are for us to use as individuals. Each day, we want to read through that in our individual devotional time and ask the Lord to work those things into our heart and life. Uh, we want to do that with our families. We are encouraging every family um, as many days as you can to gather together and to read that together and talk about it together and allow the Lord to work that through your family. Uh, if you want to do it with a small group that you're doing, um, again, if everyone is not a part of this 21 days, uh, it may not make as much sense to everyone. And so if your small group is a part of the churches that are involved, we encourage you to use it there uh, as many places as the Lord lays it on your heart to use it. And then bring that with you to the prayer services. Monday through Friday night, we'll be at the Nazarene Church at 6.30 every night of the week. Um, the service is 
open-ended, if you will. We're going to begin each service by corporately reading the devotion for the day and then praying for the Lord to work those things into our heart. And then uh, the service is kind of, as I said, open-ended. So if you can't come right at 6.30, if you feel like you're going to be 15, 20 minutes late, you can come in whenever. You can leave. If you need to leave early, you need to pick the kids up somewhere. You've got another responsibility. You've got to go to work. Whatever it is, uh, don't let that be a reason not to come. We want you to be a part of these corporate times. We believe the Lord is going to speak to our hearts in these corporate times. As you unplug your life and you just set your heart on seeking the Lord and you gather together with the body of Christ at large like this, uh, God, that's a recipe for God to speak. If you look through the word and say, okay, God, how do you speak? Uh, You'll find all those things in the recipe. And when you throw that in a big bowl, um, God's bound to say something. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. And uh, as we were challenged on Friday night, you're going to get out of this what you put into it. And so, you know, the Lord is going to meet you where you are in this process. And so, um, this morning, if you've got a Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter 28 and then John chapter 1. I want to share a thought with you that the Lord has laid on my heart. Um, If you, I don't have the the main text up on the screen, so if you have your Bible, um, I'm going to encourage you to go to those two places, Genesis 28, John chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at these two passages of scripture, Scripture, how they tie together and what they mean for us today. Uh, Let me, as you're turning to Genesis 28, let me kind of set up the story here. Um, The story is about a guy named Jacob and a dream that he has. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Abraham was the guy in the Old Testament that God came to, revealed himself to, and said, hey, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless the entire world through you. And that came to pass as he had a son in his old age when him and his wife were both unable to bear children anymore because of their age. Uh, God blessed them with a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. They were twin sons. Esau was the older born, but Jacob swindled him out of his birthright as the oldest son, took that from him. He deceived his father into giving him the blessing of the firstborn son, and so he stole that as well. And uh, Jacob, after a few encounters with God, gets his name changed to Israel. And uh, Israel is the nation that we know today as the nation of Israel. And from Israel, from Jacob and his 12 sons, Father Abraham had many sons, um, from Jacob and his sons, God began to build this nation and took it to its height under King Solomon. Then the nation split. uh, And you know the rest of the story. And if you don't, uh, it is the Bible and you can read it. But this is Jacob. Jacob has swindled his brother out of the birthright. He has stolen the blessing of the firstborn uh, with the help of his mother. And so his mother devised a plan because his brother obviously hates him at this point and wants to kill him. Uh, But out of respect for his father, isn't going to do it while his father's alive. So his mother, Rebecca, develops a plan and says, hey, let's send Jacob back to our, my homeland, to my father, and uh, allow him to get a wife from there so he doesn't get one of these detestable women that worship false gods here, which is interesting because Rebecca brings the false gods from that land uh, with them. And so it's just, just one of those ironies of scripture. But uh, Isaac thinks that's, a, thinks that's a good idea. He sends him back. And on his way there, Jacob stops at a city called Luz. And this is what takes place. Meanwhile, verse 10 of Genesis 28, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. 
Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. I don't know what the chiropractor would think of that verse, but uh, that's what he did. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. Notice that he was sleeping when he had this dream, meaning he was no longer deceiving, plotting, manipulating, working. He was at rest. He dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. He saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, Yahweh, God Almighty. That's what that is. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the east, the west, to the north, and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. This is the exact same promise that God made to Abraham, that he repeated to Isaac, and now he repeats to Jacob. And we know he does bless all of the world because Jesus comes from the line of David through the line of Jacob, through the line of Isaac and Abraham, and all of the world has been blessed through him. Verse 15, what's more, as if that wasn't enough, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. Listen to that again. I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Listen to that again. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. You think? And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. See, now I wish Jacob had just stopped there. I mean, I just wish before he got afraid, because that's what happens. Whenever we get still and quiet and God reveals something to us, we open our mouths. And if we would just not try to figure it all out in that instant and not try to, you know, put it all in our little box because we're afraid. We're like, man, God, this is so big and I don't know what all this means. And and so in our zeal to get handles on it all right away, we open our mouths and we do stuff like this. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against And because, I mean, obviously the stone is blessed because I had this amazing dream. And he set it up as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil all over it. A very spiritual thing. Then he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. Luz previously was its name, but that's no longer acceptable because this is the house of God. Really? Did God say any of this? Did God talk about the stone he was lying on? Did God talk about that city and say, this is because you fell asleep in the right city and because you chose the right stone, I have now appeared to you. He didn't do any of that. But yet Jacob does all this stuff. Then Jacob makes the vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, he promised he would. And if he'll provide me with food and clothing and if I return safely to my father's home, 
He promised he would. Then the Lord will certainly be my God. Well, good, because that's what he's promised. And this memorial pillar that I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And it did. Unfortunately, it actually became a place of idolatry in the land of Israel. And it didn't lead them to the Lord, their God. It led them into sin. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. See, Jacob, all of his life has heard about grandpa's promise. He's heard about the God of grandpa. He's heard about the stories. He's heard about dad's God. He's heard about the promise that God made to Isaac. And he's heard the story about how God brought uh, Rebecca into the family and how God has done this and how he helped the servant. And he's heard, uh, he's heard the stories. Grandpa, yeah, he was past childbearing year. Oh, I don't want to hear this. Oh, la, la, la. I don't want to think about my grandparents. Ah, having a baby. And he's heard it all of his life. We don't know how much he's encountered God. We don't know how much intimate contact he's had with God. But we know this. He's impressed by this dream. So my guess would be very little. My guess would be that this is really the first time that Jacob has had an encounter with God. That he has taken the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and made it the God of Jacob. Made it very personal. And in fact, he didn't do it. He wasn't seeking God. He was, in fact, he was trying to manipulate circumstances to be the firstborn. Even though it was already prophesied that God's hand of blessing would be on the younger brother, Jacob felt the need to manipulate circumstances so that he could have his will done. And for those of you that would say, well, that must have been God's will for Jacob to be a deceiver because God promised that, that he, the older would serve the younger, that that's how it would happen. Now, let me tell you something. God will use our deceptions, but he will not author them. He knows that his plan is going to work out, and he will take even our missteps to work them into the plan for our lives, but please do not ever accuse him of being the one who led us to be a deceiver. Jacob chose to be the deceiver. In fact, after Jacob wrestles with God, God says, you're no longer deceiver. Your name is Israel, prince of God. Okay, we're going to change that thing. You've got to have a new life. I mean, you, you, are you catching the connections between us? You know, it's not enough to be raised in church. It's not enough for us to have a great Christian heritage. God has to become our God. You don't get to heaven because mommy and daddy brought you to church all your life. You go to heaven because you have a personal connection with the living God. He becomes your God. And so Jacob says these words, and every time I read them, I'm like, Lord, help me not to be that. God is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And I can't help but every time I read that statement, think, God, how many times are you in the place and I'm not aware of it? More times than I'd like to believe. God had always been there. God was always with Jacob. And the problem is Jacob lacked awareness of God. The stories of God's faithfulness did not cause Jacob to seek him. But this dream begins to change Jacob's life and heart. Often, I think we lack that same awareness. We, just like Jacob, have the danger of making places or methods holy instead of increasing our awareness and finding God everywhere and in everything. The Word of God assures us that God is with us, but often we are unaware of Him. And instead of, <coughs> excuse me, instead of learning to walk in his presence, we cling to tangibles. The place that God met me before, 
I mean, think about it. If you really need to seek the Lord, what place do you go to? The place where God met you before. What worship song do you put on? Well, the song that God used to speak to me before. I mean, I can't come into a church service and if the song, if I don't know the words, I can't encounter God. Really? Why? What, I mean, is the problem with God? Does God have a favorite tune? I mean, if the lights aren't right or the heat or temperature isn't right or if all of these things in our beautiful American society aren't exactly the way that it happened the last time God showed up, God's not going to show up. I mean, he's got a, he's got a, a prescribed method. I mean, we've got to have the right stone and we've got to have the right uh, city and we've got to, I mean, all of these things. I mean, I mean we've we got to go where the glory spout is, right? Isn't that what we've got to do? I mean, we've got to go to Brownsville. No, 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 we've got to go to Kansas City. No, 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 we've got to go to Grand Rapids. No, no, there's a new glory spout, Pastor Tom. We've got to go, I mean, I'm not discounting any of that. God moves sovereignly in places and there's absolutely nothing wrong with going to those places and enjoying the presence of God, but we cannot begin to think that God is limiting himself to those things. We can't think that just because we sang this one song or you heard this song on the radio and God ministered to your heart, I mean, I'm not discounting that. If, that, if you playing that song ministers to your heart, keep playing it, play it every day. But don't think that God only wants to speak through that song. Don't think that God only wants to speak in that place. And if, if you don't do everything, God wants to be in our lives day in and day out. The dream was not about Bethel or Luz being this dynamic city. The God was on the covenant, not on the city. The city wasn't blessed. The land wasn't blessed. Jacob was blessed. It was the covenant promise of God on Jacob's life. And wherever Jacob went, what did God say? I will be with you. You don't have to carry that stone with you. You don't have to carry the oil with you. You don't have to carry anything with you. I mean, how foolish to think if someone came up and said, hey, would you, would you pray for me? If we would be like, well, no, well, you got to come to the altar and you got to have oil and we got to have a prayer team and they got to have their badge on. And if all of the things aren't right, I can't pray for you. We wouldn't do that. We'd pray for them on the spot if someone said, pray for me. But we, we run the danger of doing this same thing. We lack awareness of the presence of God. Now, John chapter 1. Go over there. Still following me? Good. In John chapter 1, Jesus has come to establish the new covenant. The old covenant and the new covenant have been in God's heart since the beginning. The new covenant is not plan B. God didn't sit up in heaven and say, hey, let's try this old covenant thing and then realize halfway through that this wasn't going to work out. See, God wasn't looking for a city. God was looking for a people. He was looking for a people to dwell in so that all nations of the world would know because of his people. Not because he had a glorious temple, not because he had a city that bears his name, but because he had a people. And we are that people. Peter tells us in the New Testament, you are a people belonging to God. To declare the praises of God. Who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the promise. So Jesus has come. He's going to establish this new covenant. Because the old covenant couldn't give God a people. The new covenant could. But the old covenant was a great shadow of what was coming. And in John chapter 1, this is what we have. Jesus is choosing his disciples. And in verse 43, it says, The next day, 
John 1, 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. We talked about Peter's confession of Christ, you know, back in Sunday school today. But Philip and Nathaniel are about to make a proclamation even before that. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that's like saying this. Oh, hey guys, where do you want to go for lunch today? Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go for lunch today? No, please don't get offended by this, but Cavour. Let's go to Cavour. Cavour? Is there any good place to eat in Cavour? I mean, really? Let's go to Mitchell. I mean, there may be a good place to eat in Cavour. I don't know. But that's what the reaction is like. Anything good can come out of that? Really? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Pay attention to that. Come and see for yourself. It's, don't take my word for it. Don't take my word. Some of you have been taking pastor's word for it, mom's word for it, dad's word for it, spouse's word for it. Stop taking anybody else's word for it. See for yourself. You know why it doesn't work for you? Because you won't see for yourself. What I know isn't going to help you. What your spouse knows isn't going to help you. What mom and dad knows isn't going to help you. What you need to know. See for yourself. As they approach Jesus, Jesus says this. Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And I love Nathaniel's response. How do you know about me? I mean, doesn't that seem like just a proud statement? Obviously it wasn't, but it's just funny to me. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now that's pretty impressive. How'd you know that? Nathaniel exclaims, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I have seen you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than this. I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man. Why? The Son of Man is the new ladder. They know what he's referring to, okay? Don't, they're not biblically illiterate like we are in this country. They know what Jesus is referring to. Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. And the angels of God are ascending and descending on him. He is now the bridge. We don't need a song. We don't need a rock. We don't need a place. We, we have Jesus, the one who gives us access to the very presence of God to make it personal. He's the bridge. He tells us right here, I'm the bridge. And then we know that's true. His death, his resurrection, he fulfilled all the prophecies. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. Angels don't ascend and descend on us. They ascend and descend on him. We are now the house of God. Hmm. We are Bethel. Not Jesus. Jesus is God. He's not the house of God. He's the ladder. We have become the Bethel in this story. We are the house of God. What, what, what do we know from, about angels from the New Testament? Here's what we know. 
Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 tells us to be hospitable to strangers because some of us have entertained angels without even realizing it. We know that angels can take the form of a human being and we can not recognize them. We know that they can also be frightening. I mean, we've just come through the Christmas season and Zachariah saw an angel and Mary saw an angel and Joseph saw an angel and the shepherds saw angels and they were all very afraid. Okay, so now we need to call Andy Stanley and say, hey, Andy, sometimes angels do appear and we're not fearful. So you could see an angel and not be afraid. Okay, so I'm just saying some, it was, you had to be here for those stories. But this is what we know about angels. Does it matter? No, I just thought you'd like to know what we know about angels. This is what the Bible says about us as the house of God. This is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that God's spirit lives in you? See why it's so important that even as four different churches were coming together Because all of us together is the house of God. It's not this room. I mean, I'm all for respecting this room and trying to keep it nice because it's a place we come to worship and we don't want to have stains everywhere. And Well, we want to keep it as nice as we can. There's nothing wrong with that. But this place isn't holy. It's just a place. It's just a room we gather in. What makes it holy is the presence of God. And the presence of God is not in this room. He's in us. And as we gather together corporately, He's in us. Even in greater fashion. 1 Corinthians 6.19, don't you realize that your body individually is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I know you know all these scriptures. I know them too. What I don't know if we're fully aware of is that not a part of the Holy Spirit lives in us. Not a a fragment of the Holy Spirit lives in us. Not, you know, here's just a little bit of the Holy Spirit and as you prove yourself, I'm going to give you more and more. The Holy Spirit lives in us at salvation. The Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. And unfortunately, I think many times we're just unaware. We lack awareness. We don't get more of Him. I know we we like to pray, Lord, come down. He came. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. I did. You're not getting more. You've got it. You've got the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11 says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, me, us. Period. He's there. So, He's not here waiting for us. He's in us. Maybe we lack awareness of Him. And our awareness needs to grow. Because unfortunately, we still make it about places and we make it about methods. And those places and those methods are significant. I still love to go back to places that I know God spoke to me before. And Jesus, the Lord told them in the Old Testament, set up memorial stones. 
So that when you look at it, you remember, I met you there. That, that place is not sacred, but the memory of what he did there is sacred because he wants to keep doing stuff like that every day, every place. He wants to work in our lives if we'll become more and more aware. Jesus taught us in John chapter 4, it's not about the place. He's arguing with the Samaritan woman at the well, having a discussion. Maybe that sounds better. Argument sounds so bad in our culture. But they are. They're literally arguing about where do you worship because the Samaritans and Jews have done it for years. It's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city that bears the name of God. Jerusalem is the holy city. That's where you worship. You Samaritans, you are dirty dogs. You worship God on some other mountain and that's not the right way. But the Samaritans are like, no, this is where God revealed himself to our ancestors. So this is where we worship. Please don't act like we don't do stuff like that. I mean, do you see how foolish it looks when it's somebody else? But look at what we get all bent out of shape over. Well, God's got to do it this way or that way or this way or as if he had to do it any of our ways. And he is so creative. He's finding new ways to speak to people. He's not saying new things. He's saying the same things. We just weren't aware of them. I mean, I love it when we say, God's doing a new thing. He, there's nothing really new. It's just stuff we weren't aware of before. He says to me, believe me, woman, a time is coming when it no longer matters whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship Him that way. Jesus tears down the hindrance of location. He's tearing down the hindrance of methodology. Jesus, the Son of God, still the bridge between heaven and earth, angels ascending and descending on him, still has to pronounce a woe on the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Why? Because he performed miracles there. The angels of heaven were ascending and descending on him, and they saw what he did, but they didn't see. They heard what he taught, but they didn't understand. They lacked awareness. The Son of God, who in other places moved in power and people's lives were dramatically changed, was not able to bring about conversion of those cities because they lacked awareness of who Jesus was. In Nazareth, we know the story about Jesus in Nazareth. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now for us today, that's a good service. I mean, if you left here today saying, man, the pastor was off his mark today, all he could do was place his hands on a few sick people and they recovered. That's a good day. I mean, this place would be full next week on that verse. Because we haven't seen stuff like that today. But Jesus, who everywhere he went, healed literally thousands upon thousands of people, crowds who waited for him, never once encountering much like this. And he moves into a city where they can't wrap their mind around him because he grew up there. And they're unaware of who he is. They're not able to accept who he is. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles. Why is that important to us? Because sometimes that happens to us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons I believe that we don't see God moving the way he did in Acts, the way God moves in Corinthians, I mean, he was moving in Corinthians even though it was chaotic and there needed to be some correction. 
Why don't we see God moving? Because we lack awareness. And when I talk about awareness, I mean understanding. I mean belief. I mean faith. I mean all of these things wrapped up. God is in the place and we're not aware of it. When you walked in here today, I don't know if you became aware, but God was here. And we went through a worship service where we declared the praises of God and you either sang along and were aware that he was in the place or you just weren't aware. Today when you got up and put your feet on the floor, he was in the place. And you either went through your day lacking awareness or you went through your day very aware that he was with you. Now I know, I realize there are times and seasons in our lives where we walk through hard times, where it seems like God's presence is far away from us. But the truth is, He is always near. Always. It doesn't say I will always feel that He is near, but it says He's always near. But we're waiting for Him to show up like He did the last time. If I don't got goosebumps, He's not here. This person won't get healed if I don't have a tingle back here. This person won't get ministered to if God doesn't do it the way that He did it before. I don't feel something. I don't sense something. Maybe God is leading us into a new level of awareness, and I believe that's what wilderness times are all about. I've been through some. I've been through some really long ones. I've been through some that I knew I was in it and I knew I was coming out of it, but it didn't shake the fact that in the middle of it, it was like, that's just a weird one. I mean, sometimes when you're in a wilderness time, you don't even know you're in it or you know you're in it, but you think it's your fault that you're in it and you've got all of these fights and thoughts from the enemy saying, you're terrible, you've sinned, you're a horrible person, God hates you. Seriously? Seriously? Like you could get any worse than what we were before. I mean, how can we be more lost than lost? And if he purchased us and brought us into the kingdom, he's going to complete that work if we stop believing the lies and keep believing the truth. And the truth is he's near us. And so we've got to stop going by feeling. We go by faith. We become aware of him. God is with us at Walmart. God is with us at Lewis and Coborns and Kmart and every other store that I forgot to mention in town. God is with us. He's with us. He's with us in service. I'm tired of us coming into a, a building and putting all of the pressure on these people up here. I mean, if you don't put together the right mix of songs and you're not prayed up right and you're not, it's all on you guys. But you know what these people do? It's all on you guys. I mean, we put together the right song list and God didn't move in power. The people just didn't respond. What, because he didn't do it like he did it last time? Because we didn't get a tingle or because we didn't get a this? I mean, God is present. And sometimes it's just us saying, you're present. And I'm gonna ask someone to be healed today because you're present because you're here. You're not in this room, but look, you're here and you're there and you're there and you're there and we're all together and our faith, man, this place is primed for something to happen. How could we possibly sit in our seat and not ask God to heal us in this room where he's everywhere? You catching this? We need our awareness to be enlarged. Because he is here. He is in us. He is with us every day, feel him or not, he's there. 
And he is leading us day by day. And along the way, we have these amazing encounters with God. And I love them. I love when I can sense the presence of God. I love when I can put on Ryan Kondo from IHOP and know that God has just entered the room. I mean, I know that and I'll still do it because that's how I just, he's so gifted and I love him. He just brings us into the presence of God. It's great. But that doesn't mean he doesn't move through other worship leaders. And you know what we have a tendency to do? Well, if Ryan Kondo was our worship leader here, then God would move every Sunday. Hogwash. It doesn't matter who our worship leader is here because it's all about him. And I love our worship leaders. I really love the one that led today. (laughs) And they do a great job of leading us into the presence of God. You know what? Some weeks they don't pick a song I like at all. Some weeks, all the songs they pick are ones I like. And I'm like, wow, God is really going to move today. And you know what usually happens? It's like, eh. I need my awareness to expand. That God is here whether I feel him or not. And I'm not going to be moved by my, my emotion. I'm going to be moved by the truth of his word. And sometimes emotion is going to flood it and I'm going to rejoice in that. Sometimes there's no emotion and it doesn't matter. You're not more saved if you cry, less saved if you don't. You're not more healed if you shout, less healed if you don't. You understand? We need our awareness to expand. I want to look at one last scripture and I know it's getting late and I want to pray and we're going to go. James chapter 4 Verses 1 through 10. This is an amazing passage of scripture. And I don't nearly have the time it's going to take to pull through everything that's there. But let's read it together. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Hallelujah. The early church was fighting. Doesn't that make you happy? They were quarreling and they were fighting. And the apostles and their Handpicked people were their pastors. Perfect. We're just like them. Don't they come from your evil desires at war within you? Yes. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Sounds a whole lot like Jacob. Trying to manipulate, deceive, fight, kick, get what he needs. When what we've been called to do is trust the Lord. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Why aren't we aware of the presence of God? Friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. Fighting, bickering, quarreling, gossiping. I just listened to Rick Renner, who is a Greek theologian, unpack this amazing word this week about the worst sin in the world being gossip. You know the, the seven things that Proverbs lists as the abominations of God, that God hates? All seven of those things are wrapped up in the word gossip. I mean, you'd, you'd have to listen to it. He, it was amazing. Um, I, I became, began to realize how when Jesus says, you know, if you don't forgive a human being, I'm not going to forgive you. I mean, I begin to understand so much more fully this whole idea of how God values what we do to other people and how we treat them. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? 
Why can't we, why aren't we aware of the presence of God? We live like the scriptures have no meaning. I mean, we say we believe them, but we live like they have no meaning. They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him and he gives us grace generously. Meaning, God put in us a Holy Spirit that is passionate for him, intensely craves and desires God. That's what lives inside of us. So if we are not intensely craving and desiring God and his kingdom, it's not on God. Because he craves us, he has put a spirit in us that craves him, we're messing it up in there. It's our awareness problem. We need to to start peeling some things back, and so I love that he tells us how to do it. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. Literally, when it says God opposes the proud, he sets himself against them. All of you are in the room with me, but if I preached like this every Sunday, would you keep showing up? I mean, seriously, this may be my best side. How's my hair look back there? That's what God does. When there is pride in our lives, you can't come into his presence. Wherever you go in the room, God will do this. Why? Because pride repels him. You ever take a magnet and put the the two positive sides together and it's cool, you can move them? That's exactly what happens. You're not going to draw near the face of God. You're not going to become aware of God when there's pride in our lives. And for those of us that thought we dealt with pride, think again. There is pride that he wants to strip away from our lives. So here's what we do. We humble ourselves before God. We resist the devil. Can I just tell you, he needs to be resisted. He is going to lie. He is going to steal. He is going to cheat. He is going to hate you until the day you die. Just resist him. Just resist him. No, I'm not going to believe that lie. No, I'm not going to give in to that. No, I'm not going to, I'm resisting you until the day I die. And he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, sinners. We're not going to be aware of God if we're living in disobedience. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears For what you have done, let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Now, in our zeal to help people who have felt so condemned by the enemy, we talk about there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That, you know, the enemy just wants to beat us down and make us feel terrible and inadequate. And all of that is true. But... Somehow we maybe have cheapened this idea that we're supposed to feel sorrow over our sin and our condition. I mean, James here says, you know what? Be in grief about this. We like to repent like, Lord, you know, man, I just, I messed up today. I did the wrong thing. Forgive me. Thank you. There's no condemnation. Um, I'm planning on not doing it again. But if I do, maybe give me an advance on that grace. And I mean, that's how we treat it. And I I mean, I don't want us to walk around like, oh, we're rich, but I want us to begin to feel what we're doing. 
That it's not okay for us to just flippantly cut other people down. That it's not okay for us to just live however we want or watch whatever we want or do whatever we want and think that it has no effect on us at all. Because the major effect on our lives is we have God living inside of us and most of us are unaware of it. By unaware of it, I mean the people around us are also unaware of it. We need to become more aware. And it starts with humility. It starts with repentance. It starts with just coming near to God. And that's what this 21 days is all about. It's about turning off the television to recognize, you know what, God? I can turn it off. I should turn it off. And if it's become a God to me, show me over these next 21 days so that I can cut it off. Pastor Tom, when we started this, you didn't tell us that we'd have to stop these things for life. It it might not be for you. It's okay. One of the things I loved about the launch service Friday night was don't tell other people what you're fasting because God's not going to speak to us all the same way. And if if God comes to you and says, hey, cut this thing off, and he doesn't tell someone else, well, that's not fair. Isn't that what we do? Well, if they don't have to do it, then I don't. Yes, you do. If God comes to you and says, hey, cut this thing off, trust him and cut it off. And so as we walk through this time of fasting, this week as we go through the devotion, as we meet together for prayer, a whole week spent on humility. I can't wait to begin to see what humility looks like. I don't know if I know. I don't know if I know what it means to humble myself before the Lord. I mean, I know it means admit I'm dependent upon Him. It means stop being proud. It means stop trying to do things in my own strength. It means a whole gamut of stuff. But Lord, show me what humility means. Expose pride to me because I don't want to repel you anymore. I mean, I want to be aware of your presence everywhere, all the time. I want to know that you're there. When someone starts telling me about a situation that they're facing, I want to be one of those people that just recognize you're right there and let's pray right now for that to begin to change. Instead of trying to say, how could we fix that? You know, your behavior really needs to change and transform and you're just making a mess. And I want to know that God's there. I want to look at situations that everyone else looks at and goes, oh man, that's hopeless. That person is lost and uh, I am so tired of just bailing them out and and I just want to be light in the middle of that. Boom. Anybody else? Because here's the thing. This is the best part. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He lives in you. Are you aware of it? Are you aware of it? My guess is you are a little bit because you're here. Okay, so there's got to be some level of awareness. But here's my prayer for this week. We become so aware that he starts coming out everywhere. Everywhere. That's what this is about. So let's stand together. As we close, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for the other churches that are involved in this 21 days. And then I'm going to dismiss. If you need to leave, you're free to be dismissed. But if you need to stay, if you need to respond to something that God has said, you need to pray something, these altars are open. Our prayer team is here. We would pray with you if you need that. But uh, that's what we're going to do. And so, Father, right now, God, I just ask 
that you would make us more aware of your presence. You have sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me and now lives in every individual who has surrendered their lives to you in this room. Father, for those in this room today that have never committed their lives to you, that have never surrendered their hearts to you, Holy Spirit, I pray, lead them to that decision today. May they put confidence in what you did on the cross by taking their place and by taking their sin and their guilt and giving your life for them. May they understand that fully today and be able to commit themselves to you wholeheartedly. Father, for those of us today that have given our lives to you, we repent of being unaware. We repent of allowing methods and places to take preeminence in our lives. You are with us. You are always with us everywhere we go. We need to be more aware of you. Help us expand our awareness, expand our understanding of how you work, how you move, what you desire of us. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to resist the devil so that he will flee from us. Father, help us to wash our hands today. For those things that you've already brought to our mind that we know are disobedience in our lives, we wash our hands today. We turn away from those things and we turn to you. Purify our our double-mindedness, our hearts today. Over these 21 days, as we just kind of separate ourselves from all of these worldly entanglements, reveal to us in this time any double-mindedness, where our priorities have been misplaced, where something else has taken preeminence in our lives. And help us just simply to come near to you. God, over these 21 days, be faithful to your promise that if we come near to you, you will come near to us. As we gather together and as we seek you together in our families, as individuals, as a corporate body of Christ in this city, God, as we come near you, come near us. Because we admit today, we can't do this without you. We've been trying to. We've been pretending that we've been doing it with you, but we've been doing it in our strength. We've been doing our stuff in your name, and we want to change. So come near us. Teach us to walk in humility. Teach us to turn away from pride. Teach us to trust you wholeheartedly. Father, I pray for every other church and every other pastor that is a part of this process with us. God, strengthen them today. Help us to walk hand in hand towards you in these days ahead as you make yourself known to us and to this city. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to be dismissed, feel free to do it. If you want to spend time in prayer, these altars are always open to you. God bless you as you go. Don't forget, tomorrow night, 6.30 at the Nazarene Church.